glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, please, out of honor for the Word of God. If you are physically able, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So we've looked at already, as I said, three of these. We saw him as wonderful in every aspect of his, of his coming. He's wonderful in his birth and his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, even today in his ministry at the right hand of God. He's wonderful. That has to do with his manifestation, his counselor. That has to do with his message. Uh, Christ is wisdom incarnate. If you want to know truth and you want to know right, the right way, you must know Christ. And so he's the counselor. Last week we saw him as the mighty God. That has to deal with his might and his power. Today we see him as the everlasting Father. The Spirit of God is leading us to a conclusion. He'll be seen in finality as the Prince of Peace. Okay? He is the only one. The world is hungry for peace. I believe that's, that's so. Hungry for peace. But Christ is the only one who can give true peace. And so we'll see that, God willing, next week. But today... The Everlasting Father. So there's no confusion when the Bible says who he is. The mighty God is the same as Jehovah God who created all things. Now John chapter 1, if you would, as we'll see this articulated in detail in the first chapter here in John verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. We notice in our Bibles that the Word is capitalized, meaning it is a, it is a name and a title, more than a title. It's a name and a name for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, speaking of John, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Thank you. You may be seated. Think about the the name we're considering this morning. Last week, we looked at the mighty God. We just took all three of those words and broke it down. And it tells us some things about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The only one, mighty, has to do with his power, his, his ability, and then God having to do with his authority. But again, there would be those today who would teach that Jesus is God, but that he's not God the Father. Well, he's not. He's, he's distinct from God the Father. I, we try to use a lot of illustrations to understand the Trinity. Okay, So people have used water. If I asked you, uh, is H2O a vapor or is it? liquid or is it solid you'd say well it can be any one of the three but that's not a perfect illustration of the trinity because it changes its its molecular structure if you would it changes when you put it in different environments and god doesn't change his he's he's the same we try to use a, an egg and say well is the shell the egg is the yolk the egg is the white the egg we say well of course there are three separate parts and that's a it's fair enough but you can separate them and they become three separate parts and it's a good illustration but not a perfect one The best illustration I know is us who are made in God's image. If I asked you, are you a spirit or a soul or a body? 
What's the answer? The answer is yes. You are all the above. You are spirit. Your spirit is you. Your soul is you. Your body is you. It's not, I understand. And they're really, the Bible can define and distinguish the difference. The word of God does. But we are made as triune beings in the likeness of God. Now, without the Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit is dead. Spiritually, you're dead. And that's why you can't think right until you get saved. Why you can't do right until you get saved. You have to have life to, to be able to do what you're supposed to do. Many people think by doing, you get life. That would be like saying we're take a corpse lying in the funeral home, move his hands and his feet, and that makes him alive. No, it doesn't. You have to receive life first. And for you and I, we must be born again. If you're going to do right, you have to receive life. And that is a gift from God, and it is received by faith. God does not force it on you. We'll see that this morning. But it is offered you freely, and it is that simple. When you receive life from God, then you can do what God wants you to do by His grace and power and strength. But we're focusing this morning on the, the name, the everlasting Father. Listen, for the cults today that teach that Jesus is somehow a man who became God, meaning there's God the Father, and that's a God. There's God the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, and He's a God. And there's God the Son, and He's a God. And each are, at one point, were men who became gods. That's satanic, by the way. That's not of God. No, no, God never ceased to be... The, the everlasting Father did not cease to be the everlasting Father when He took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God the Father in human form. That's why He said in John chapter four, John chapter 10, rather, I and my Father are one. That's why He said in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, I have no beginning... I have no ending. I was reading this morning the book of Hebrews, and he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we have no record of his father or mother, no record of his death. From our standpoint, he had no beginning, no end. And Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after Aaron, because he has no beginning, no ending. He has an eternal and everlasting priesthood. So we look at the term everlasting father today, and we would note the word everlasting. It's very interesting to me. The Hebrew word from which we get everlasting in Isaiah 9.6, it's not the same Hebrew word that is normally translated everlasting. It has a little bit of a uniqueness to it, dealing more with something that is eternal, without beginning or end, encompassing time. It's the exact same Hebrew word that gives us uh, the word et- eternity in Isaiah 57.15. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity... That's the exact same Hebrew word that we have in Isaiah 9, 6 as the everlasting father. Meaning, we think of fatherhood when you began, you think back to your earliest memory, and I understand some folks were raised without their father in their home, and I am very sorry for those who have to have such an upbringing. That is a sorrowful thing. I will only say this. For the person who does not have their earthly father, God is ready and willing to be the perfect father. Amen? And he is. But for those whose earliest memories can go back, when you start having memories, if both parents were in your home, you know they were there before you. Fatherhood has to do with the person that begat you because he was before you. When we're dealing with our earthly fathers, though, they're not everlasting. They had a birth date, and for some, they've already had a death date. But Jesus Christ is the everlasting father meaning he's before you just as john says in this text he said he was preferred before me because he was before me now isn't that ironic that john the baptist would say that john the baptist was born six months before jesus but then he says jesus was before him he can only mean one thing (laughs) he's god He was before me because he's God and he is to be preferred before me because he was before me. And the Bible is explicitly careful on telling us that John the Baptist was conceived first. John the Baptist was born first. He was called the what of the Lord Jesus? The forerunner. And yet he said Jesus was preferred before him because he was before me. So speaking of the Lord Jesus as the everlasting father prophetically is helping us understand The Lord Jesus did not come into existence 2,000 years ago. He's the everlasting Father. He is not the mighty God because He became God. 
He's the mighty God because He always has been. I'm telling you, the, the Spirit of God makes no mistakes. If we stopped in Isaiah 9, 6 with, His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The Colts might have a heyday and say, See, He's the Mighty God because He's Wonderful. And He's the Mighty God because He's a Counselor. The Counselor, and if you are like Him, you can be the Mighty God too. But when it goes on to say the Everlasting Father, it takes out a lot of false doctrine, doesn't it? So, no, no, we're not talking about a wonderful counselor uh, who became God. We're talking about the everlasting Father who became man and as such is wonderful and counselor and the mighty God. The everlasting Father. It, meaning, and fatherhood, by the, by the way, has to do with begetting life. And as such, when we're referring to Jesus as the everlasting Father, He is the everlasting Father in the sense of He is the creator of all things. As Colossians tells us, and I'll read these verses, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, of Jesus it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And then notice what it says in verse 17. And he, speaking of Jesus, is before all things. Before there was light on earth, before there was earth, there was Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the everlasting Father. You know what the other other aspect of this is? He has no beginning. That's why he's the Alpha. He was around before there was anything else. But he's also the Omega. Meaning he's never going away. If all the nations reject Jesus Christ, he's the everlasting father. You know what? My my dad is approaching 70 now. And as your parents approach those marks, you can't help but know there's less life ahead of them than there is behind them. And I dread the day, if the Lord doesn't return, that I'm going to have to hear the news that my dad has graduated on to heaven. I hope it's not soon. I hope the Lord gives him much more time. But... The reality of life says he has less days left than he has lived. And I have to live with the idea, man, I dread that day. I dread that day. My children are going to have to think the same thing. I hope they enjoy time with their dad, but there will be a time when I won't be around. Not true with God. When Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you can know he's always been and he always will be. When we step out of this life into eternity, he'll be there <laughs> because he's the everlasting father. I told you it's important we know who Jesus Christ is. He is not simply someone who came into existence through a manger 2,000 years ago. No, no, he was already before then. He is the great I am. So in John chapter 1, let me just give you as the everlasting father. Now the term Everlasting Father is not used here, but the truth is conveyed very, very clearly. We'll look at just a few things out of John 1, verses 1 through 18, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as the creator of all things. And so we begin by looking at his identity as it is. That's what we've been looking at already, but if you want to write a note down, we're considering, number one, this morning, his identity. Let's consider a few verses again, which we're very familiar with, most of us anyway, if not all. Verse 1, in the beginning... So when everything started in the beginning, it's interesting to me, by the way, John 1.1 begins the exact same way Genesis 1.1 does. Genesis 1.1 doesn't say, in the beginning, many of us theorized there was a God. And here's why we theorized there was a God. Because order requires a creator. Well, that's true. But the Bible doesn't say it that way. The Bible just says, I'm just going to tell you the truth and force you to either accept it or reject it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John 1.1 1, 1 begins letting us know the mighty God that's in Genesis 1.1 1, 1 is the same one who became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So it could have said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but he wants to be very clear. I'm not just saying that Jesus and God the Father are separate persons completely and entirely. I want you to know he was with God because he was God. Just like I said to you today, your soul is with you because it is you. <laughs> your spirit is with you because it is you. Your body is with you because it is you. Uh, there is a unity there. And so the Bible, the Lord refers to himself here in John chapter uh, 1 verse 18. talks about Jesus being in the bosom of the Father. He is, he is part of the person of God. He is not part of, he is God. And, uh, and the Bible refers to him here as the Word. You know, the Bible says of man that out of the abundance of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Meaning, the words that come out of our mouth are the reflection of what's in our heart. You know what Jesus Christ is? He is the manifestation of the heart of God. He is the Word. He is what is in God's heart. And, uh, and so when God decided in his own mind, I'm going to create the earth and I'm going to create man to inhabit the earth and I'm going to create all things that was in his heart and his word spoke and the heavens were by the word of God. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. He is the very essence of God the Father. He is the everlasting Father. His identity here is defined in this way that Jesus Christ, this one called the Word, is the source of life. The Bible says, in Him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men. Do you know, people say, what is the origin of life? Jesus Christ is the origin of life. Bear with me for a minute this morning. I don't know, sometimes sarcasm is right and good. So if you send some sarcasm, uh, it is, it's there, but I would say this more than sarcasm. Let's, let's put our thinking caps on for a moment. The evolutionists of our day pretend themselves to be the most intelligent among us. When you say, what's the origin of life? They begin to describe to you a process, not an origin. Right? I mean, there's a difference between origin and process. Uh, origin means source. They don't believe the Big Bang Theory is the source of life. They believe it describes how life developed. But they're still not giving you the source. You have to really pin them down. No, 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 what's the origin? When Darwin wrote Origin of the Species, he wrote about a process but not an origin. Basically what he was writing was, I don't believe it's that origin. So I have to describe some other process. You see, the Bible begins with Jesus Christ being the everlasting Father. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, because He made the world. He made everything. He made heaven. He made earth. He made the heavens. He made the firmament. He made, he made it all. It's all created by Him. The Bible is explicitly clear. It spends a little time giving you the process by which the world was made, but it spends much time in telling you who is the author of the process. There are men today breathing the air Jesus Christ put in their lungs and all they use His name for is to curse and swear when they're angry. Without gratitude. I heard a great message recently by a pastor in Texas on the lack of gratitude. He was dealing with the prodigal son and he said, you think about all that the prodigal had. Here's a man that was living in enough wealth that he had an estate. Obviously, the father had an estate. He had enough to leave his two sons a great inheritance when the son came home, there was a fatted calf in the stall. The father was wealthy enough. He had servants. You think about all that boy had. He had a great present. He had a great past. He had a dad who had worked hard and provided for him to have a good life. He had a great future. He walked away from it all. You know what the heart of that was? He was ungrateful. He didn't care about what he'd been given. Listen, you've breathed the air of God this morning. Your lungs go in and out because Jesus Christ has given you physical life. By the way, he's the author of physical life. He's the author of eternal life, spiritual life. And this morning, we enjoy many benefits from him, many benefits. And if I asked you, how diligent are you about thanking him for the life he's given you? Many times, we are more prone to murmur about the lack of quality of life than the very existence of it in the first place. Being, rather than being thankful for what we've been given. It's Christmas Day, and Christmas in America is a time that demonstrates the level of wealth we've had bestowed on us materially. I mean, honestly, I doubt there's a person here today that either hasn't received some kind of a gift this year already. I've already received gifts, and it's just now Christmas Day. I'm talking about before today. We've not even opened gifts at home. 
And I've already been given things that I didn't work for. Somebody else worked for it. And somebody was gracious and kind and decided to be generous and, and that's just another human being. I'm just trying to say today, the Bible wants us, God wants to be very clear. We understand Jesus Christ is not the head of a world religion. He is the creator of every man. He is before all things. Before Muhammad was given a name, Jesus Christ was already. And before a false religion was birthed, before they worshipped the sun, and before men worshipped the moon, and before they worshipped cows, and before they worshipped gold and silver, He created those things. Romans 1 says that there are those who worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. There are men worshippers today who worship the creature more than the Creator. God, through the pen of John the Apostle, wants us to understand in Him was life. Jesus Christ is the source of all life. Second Peter 3 articulates clearly for us that the world that now is is kept in store for judgment by the Word of Christ. It's at His Word. You know why the world has not been destroyed yet? Because He hasn't said so yet. And it won't be until He does. It's kept in store and kept for judgment, but by His Word. There are those that say man is destroying earth. Can't until He says so. <laughs> It's kept by him, the one who created. So his identity, he is the source of life, and he's the source of light. The source of light. You realize true understanding does not come from man. True understanding comes from God. Notice what it says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What does light do? It makes known. It reveals. There are men today that call themselves scientists. Now, I believe and am and, and glad for true science. Uh, true science. Talking about science as it is, not as it has been falsely defined. True, true science, the word science means knowledge. Today, I've heard, I've had a man who is a science teacher in our public education system tell me that science is not the attaining of facts, but the pursuing of it. Now, I understand science pursues facts, but I thought you're supposed to come to conclusions. Basically, what he said to me is we're ever learning and ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. He didn't use those words, but that's what he meant. We are ever pursuing the truth, but no one can ever know it. Today, men act like we don't know how the world came into existence. So we're in pursuit of the truth. Where did we come from? That's not a truth to be pursued. It's a truth to be believed. Light comes from Jesus Christ. He told us where we came from. The Lord Jesus, in dealing with marriage, he said, in the beginning, when, it, when God made man male and female... Meaning, he not only declared creation, he affirmed creation. You say, what are you trying to say today? We think today that light comes from men who thought long and hard and discovered great things. Got news for you, light comes from God. In Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me ask you something this morning. In, in, a, in a time of year when we're supposed to be, Christmas is about rejoicing and happiness and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. America says, here's how you have rejoicing and happiness and peace on earth and goodwill. More things. Right? Then we're a bunch of fools. There's no nation on earth that should be more thankful than us. And no one complains like Americans. It's true. I love America. But boy, it's a sad state when here we are, when what we've believed is more wealth means more safety, more wealth means more peace, more happiness, more joy. Anybody pay attention to politics lately? It's just the bastion of peace and joy over there. Everybody loving one another. No. My point is, we have to ask every now and then, the wisdom that we've attained, what's it doing for us if it's really wisdom? I mean, isn't wisdom the ability to make decisions today that secure good benefits tomorrow? <laughs> and we believe some lies, I'm afraid. We must be reminded the source of life is Jesus Christ. The source of light is Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's why, because he's the everlasting father. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all light because he is Jehovah God. He is the creator of all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, so what the world perceives as foolish, 
to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, that's light, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that's life, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This morning we must understand, because Jesus is God and man, the man Christ Jesus is the everlasting Father. And as such, what we mean is, in His identity, Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, as we read in Colossians 1, the source of life and the source of light. When the Lord Jesus came into the world, he began to shed light and reveal things as they are. I mean, let's understand when Christ came into the world, there was a tremendously false perception of who God is. Those who supposedly represented God, the nation of Israel was misrepresenting God. Uh, The people of Israel were misrepresenting God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had a false doctrine about who God is. There was a false perception of God. There were those who were, were convinced that when the Messiah came, he would come into the world as a conquering king and would overthrow the Romans and exalt Israel to their rightful state that they deserved. What a wrong perception of God. Instead, he came in as a pauper and a servant and was missed by most. False perception. But he was a light that came into the world. He is the source of life, the source of light that brings us then to the next point, and that's his illumination. We've seen his identity, verses 1 through 3. He is the creator before all things. That's why he's called the everlasting father. But his illumination, here's what happened. The everlasting father became a child. The creator took on creation. Divinity took on humanity. Is that not what the Bible makes abundantly clear? That's what John 1.14 is all about. The Word was made flesh. The one who created us, the one who spoke humanity into existence, the one who created flesh became flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verses 4 and 5, you go back up there in John 1, we see that as we see His identity, then you can see His illumination. What did he come into the world to do? What did Jesus come into the world to do? One of the things that primarily the Bible says, he came in to be a light. Someone to come in and dispel the lies of Satan, to dispel the darkness, the blinding of minds. Men who had a false view of God because they couldn't see him clearly. Men who had a false view of themselves because they couldn't see themselves for who they were. Men who had a false view of sin. Men with a false view of eternity. Men with a false view of the world itself. Christ came into the world to help us see things as they are, not as Satan portrays them to be or as those deceived by Satan portrays them to be. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth, not just shined, past tense, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Meaning they knew it was a light, but they couldn't understand who and what this light was. He shined in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of deception, in the, in the darkness of, of, of sinful oppression over other men. Christ came into the world and shined, but men said, what is this? They, they, they spoke of Jesus like they spoke of manna. What is it? Some said he was a great prophet. Others that he was Jeremiah or maybe one of the great prophets come back from the dead. Herod theorized maybe he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. You know what they're saying? We know he's a light, but we don't understand who he is. The the Pharisees themselves says, If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. John chapter 10. I told you, but you didn't believe me. The works I do, they told you. And the words, they tell you. But you didn't believe me when I told you because you're not my sheep. If you were, you would believe me and follow me. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said, John chapter 10. But his illumination today, he's still the light. I mean, mean, I'll tell you something. You want to know what a man is. Confront him with Christ. You'll find out very quickly what a man is. A man that's a saint loves Jesus Christ. A man that is not, does not. Christ is the great light. He is the definer and judge of every man. We saw last week, he is the measure of righteousness. If I'm not as righteous as Christ, I'm unrighteous. (laughs) 
That's why I, the only way I can be righteous is to accept his righteousness as a gift. You and I will never attain to his righteousness in our flesh. We cannot. We must receive it as a gift. But Christ came into the world a light. Let's read on down. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God, we're in John 1, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. There's the potential for men to believe there. John was sent to say, This is the Son of God. He called him the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It goes on to say in verse 8, speaking of John, he was not that light. John was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, capital L, that which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Meaning every man is held under the judgment by comparison to Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of the righteousness of God. He is the revelation of the sinfulness of man. And he is the revelation of God's way of salvation. That's Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him. Could the Bible be any plainer? Jesus was in the world that was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, his own received him not. We'll come back to those verses in a few moments. Turn, if you would, just a couple chapters over to John chapter 3, if you would. John chapter 3. Some of this is repetitive from last week, but needful. John chapter 3, we know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Notice very closely, please. And this is the condemnation that Light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Can I use an illustration? I will not use a name here. I was in Walmart yesterday. I passed a man, and I recognized his face. He's a man I've had the opportunity to minister to in time past. It's been three years, I think, since I saw him. I recognized him. Ah, he's a former inmate. I'm trying to call his name. Next thing I know, I hear my name called. Is that you, Nevin? But it is. By the time he got to me, I thank God his name came back to my mind. We had a conversation. He looked good. We had a lengthy conversation. He's already texted me this morning. Say Merry Christmas. <laughs> He looked me up. The last time I tried to see him, he was prone to hide from me. He'll go knock on his door. You home in there? They reckon why he was hiding. He told me last night, he said, when last time I saw you, I wasn't doing good. I said, I know. Now, I'm just a preacher. <laughs> but I couldn't get in contact with him. I'd try and I'd try and I'd try and I'd try. Last night, he came and looked me up. Called me by name. Said, I've been clean three years. You know why he looked me up last night? Because he knows he's doing what's right. Working a job. Yeah. I'm not saying he's completely on board following Christ. I'm saying in the practical sense of life, he wasn't ashamed to come and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Last time, things were not well. Today, you know what? You know what? Man can say, we just want, scientists say, we just want the truth. Eh, if so, you'd know we were created. You don't want the truth or you'd be held accountable for your wickedness. When I meet an atheist, I want to say, what is your pet sin? Many of them are vile, vile men who know if there's a God, they're in trouble. So we'll just pretend we don't know. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. A lot of people know more about God than they pretend because light has been given. Jesus came into the world a light. He is the revealer. The Bible says in Jesus' physical absence, he's ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of God the Father. Today, uh, the Holy Spirit was given in his place and is here today to do what? What's the Spirit of God's ministry to this world? To reprove. You know what reprove men means? To bring to light and make things abundantly clear. To convince fully is what that word means. The Holy Spirit of God today is here to reprove men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin... 
Because they believe not on, on Christ. Of righteousness, because Christ has gone out of the world. You know why the Spirit of God is having to reprove of righteousness? Because He's here in Christ's place. When Christ was here, that was what He did. To convince, this is what righteousness is. There are adulterers today. They don't want to know the truth about God or they'd have to be confronted with their adultery. They know what they're doing is sin. So I would just rather act like I don't know. I'd rather be in the dark. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But you know what? When you've decided to comply with God, you'll not run from Jesus Christ. You'll run to Him. You'll flee to Him. If May I say this? If you're prone to avoid your Bible, prone to avoid the prayer closet, prone to avoid the preaching of God's Word, ask yourself, why am I running from the light? Amen? The El Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin, or the sin will keep you from the Bible. You know why? Because this is the written word. It, this is the record of the living word. I believe this. You say, I would, love, I would love to see a portrait of Jesus. Read your Bible. We have a portrait of him, not physically, but of his identity in this book. And so then, to flee the Bible is to flee Christ, and to run to the Bible and the Scripture is to run to Him. His illuminations, when I'm dealing with Christ, came a light into the world, meaning He came to make it clear where man came from. He claimed, came to make it abundantly clear what is wrong with man. And doesn't, don't men know there's something wrong with us? I mean, our own conscience tells us, I don't treat people the way I know I ought to. Christ came to make that clear. What's wrong with you is you, is you are a sinner. You are condemned, but I came to set you free. How can a man be made whole? Jesus came and He told us, we have the light. The gospel is called the light of the glorious gospel. There is a solution for the woes of man. It's the good news of who Jesus Christ is today. And yet men would rather run to a therapist. They'd rather run to drugs or rather run to a bottle or run to pleasure or something else other than Christ. But He's the light. He is the answer. His word is wisdom. Amen? Whatever is your woe today, Christ Jesus is the light and life. And so the point is this this morning. His illumination, He came into the world. And yet that brings us to our third point. He came to give light, to reveal God, to reveal man, to reveal salvation. He is the great revealer. And yet we must say, then why does He have not more influence? Here we are 2,000 years after His birth. Now, Christ has tremendous influence today. There's people all over this world today under His authority living their lives. Praise God for it. But wouldn't you think 2,000 years ago Christ came into the world, men would just be flocking to Him by the droves? Wouldn't you think if a man knew he could have forgiveness of sins, they would run to Christ? Help me this morning. If I am working down at the bank... And I'm dipping my hand in like old Judas Iscariot every few weeks and grabbing out a few hundred dollar bills. Boy, I go home at night and I spend those few hundred dollar bills that week and I feel guilty. Boy, the guilt's just eating me up. But every time the guilt starts eating me up, I remember the pleasure that comes with being able to spend that kind of money. And someone knows that I'm guilty. And they come and say, can I, can, can I talk to its fellow employee? Yeah, well, what's up? I was watching footage the other day on the security camera and I saw you dip your hand in the till. No, not me. I'm like, no, 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 you're not, you're not fooling me. I know what you did. I would tell you this. You're not going to be able to keep your job because of what you've done. But if you went and confessed, I don't think, our, I don't think our, our, our manager would press charges. I think he would work with you to pay it back. The next time I come to work, that employee is there and I avoid them. I don't want to stay away from them. What's wrong with me? And then I start trying to discredit them. You know, we've had somebody says, we've got some money missing from the till. I said, you might investigate old so-and-so over there. I don't know. They were, they were having a conversation about it the other day. I, I wouldn't want to accuse, but hey, there are people who live their entire lives that way. They go around accusing Christians. You know why? Because light's been shed. The gospel's been preached. And they say, yeesh. Here, let me put it this way, though. Let's say... My guilt is such that I say, you know what? I don't, I don't care what I have to do to make this right. I, I just want to do what's right. Who's the first person I'm going to look up? The person that confronted me. Say, Would you please go with me? You see, when I want forgiveness, when I actually want forgiveness, it's because I'm repentant. Until then, I don't want forgiveness. I just want to commit my crimes and not be punished for them. You with me this morning? 
Christ comes not only to reveal that he's God, but that God is stretching out his hand. It's a term used in the book of Isaiah, yet his hand is stretched out still, saying, I'm willing to pardon you. Why don't more men come? Because they're not repentant. Their deeds are evil. That brings us to our final point, and that is his influence. Let's look at the rest of the chapter here. Uh, verse, uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let's go down to verse 11. He came unto his own. So this author of life, this giver of light, who is the light, capital L, he is the word. He's a message from God to help people know the truth so they can be reconciled to God. He came unto his own. His own received him not. Isn't that interesting? By his own, it means to the nation of Israel. He came to his own people. He he came even to his own hometown. Luke chapter 4 gives us the record of Jesus' early ministry in Nazareth. Turn there, if you would, very quickly. This is an important point. Luke chapter 4. You see, his presence is determined by him. His power to save is determined by him. But his influence in your life is determined by you. That's determined by you. The level of influence that Jesus Christ can have on you is determined by me and by you. Uh, That's why he came a light, but yet the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They fled from him because they wanted to do wrong, not right. Luke chapter 4 tells us that after Jesus had been tempted and had overcome the temptation, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whosoever, whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in thy country, meaning give us a sign. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent save unto Sarepta, city of Sidon, unto a woman which was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed saving name in the Syrian. You know, what's Jesus doing here? He's giving them light. He is revealing, I am who I just told you I am. I'm anointed of God to preach the gospel to the poor. Uh, the Spirit of God is upon me, and I'm to give, I, I am the, you know what he's saying? I'm the Christ. And their answer was, isn't Joseph your dad? They immediately dismissed him. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to help you understand who you are and what you're doing. In the days of Elijah, there were many. There were many widows, but he was only sent unto Sarepta because she would receive him. And then in Elisha's day, there were many lepers in Israel. Why weren't there lepers in Israel healed in Elisha's day? Why did it take a Gentile? Because the Gentile was willing to act in faith. Let's read on. Oh, then they got mad. (laughs) Then they got mad because he took light and said, you're not going to see great things from God and I'm not going to be able to minister to you just like Elijah was not able to minister to his own in his day and Elijah could not minister to his own countrymen in his day because they dismissed the word of God then. So are you, you know what he's doing? He's convincing them of their unbelief. He's reproving them. He's showing them light. The Bible says in verse 28, and all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with repentance. No, 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 wrath. Why? He made them look bad. You know why Jesus made them look bad? He made them look like unbelievers. Because they were. The everlasting Father was among them. And you know what they were saying? You're just a man like us. In fact, you may be worse than us. You were born of fornication. Isn't Joseph your father? And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way and came down to Capernaum 
and uh, city of Galilee and taught them on the Sabbath days, and they were astonished at his doctrine. In another text, it tells us that in his own hometown, he could do there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. This morning, what I want us to see in John 1 is he came unto his own. Those who knew him best, and yet his own received him not. Then it goes on to say verse 12. Here's the other side of the coin. But, so as a group, as a whole, his own nation rejected him. But, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It goes on to say, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. His influence is seen in this way. His influence is seen by those who reject him and those who receive him. If God allows tonight, Lord willing, I want to preach on the darkness in Jerusalem during the birth of Christ. How many know what is the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem? You may wear that. It's It's about five miles. How is it that God in the flesh was born five miles from Jerusalem and the whole city, not other than the wise men, no one came to worship him? I mean, there were people there that knew the scriptures. They knew that Jesus was born. How could there be such darkness in Jerusalem while there was such light in Bethlehem? Five miles down the road. The attitude of heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was defined by its unbelief and rejection of God's offer of mercy and grace. May I say this this morning? There are people convinced that God is not moving, God is not working. God's saving souls today. There are those that have received eternal life this morning already in different places around the world. You can have somebody on the pew next to you get saved right next to you and you can never know it. You know what's going to determine that? What you do with the light he gives you. He came unto his own as light and life and his own received him not. But as many as received him. What is receiving? It's pretty simple, isn't it? We'll practice that on this day. Someone's going to offer you a gift and you're going to do one of two things. Accept it or reject it. You will only have the benefit of what they gave you if you receive it. Receiving is an act of the will. This is not a contradiction when it says which are born not of the will of man or the will of flesh. No, no, no. Meaning man didn't generate eternal life. God did. Man didn't offer eternal life. It's not saying you do not use your will. What it's saying is man doesn't will salvation. God's the author of salvation. But here's what you do. You do exercise your will on whether or not you will receive or reject what God has authored and offers you. The everlasting Father came among us. Thus his name, Emmanuel. God with us. And this morning, the Lord Jesus is both life and light. But as many as received him. What did he do? Every person who received him got the life and the light. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. This morning, to receive Jesus Christ is to receive God. To reject Jesus Christ is to reject God. In John 14, Philip says to Jesus, Show us the Father and it sufficeth us. He said, Have have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet have you not known me? He that seeth me hath seen the Father. If you recognize who I am, then you recognize who the Father is because I am. (laughs) And this morning, the influence of Jesus Christ, as seen in this text, the influence of the everlasting Father on your soul has to do with, am I going to treat him like his own did and say, you know what, I'd rather be in darkness than in the light. I'd rather have death than life. But as many as received him. You know what what salvation is this morning? It is receiving Jesus Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, meaning acknowledge he is who the Bible says he is, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
to receive Jesus Christ. You know what? I believe this this morning. You know how the Lord makes himself known today? Through preaching. Maybe behind a pulpit, maybe a co-worker that preaches to you and says, hey, you need Christ. And he will through that and through especially this book, he will speak to your heart and say, I am willing to give you life. I am willing to pardon your sins, to deliver you from the death you've earned through sin. I'm willing to deliver you. But you know what your part is? If he's to give you life and make you a child of God, you must receive him. The Bible says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, as we close, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him that heareth say, come, and let him uh, that is a thirst, come. This is, this is deep. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. God says, you know what? I'm going to come to you and offer life to you by offering myself to you. Now, humanity's answer was, we'd rather have death and darkness than light and life. Pin him to a cross. And they did. But you can't snuff the light out. He came out of the grave. You can't conquer his life with death. He is life. And today, really, our eternity is going to be determined by this. What do I do with Jesus Christ? This morning, as maybe you've received him. But you realize even after receiving him, you can quench him and grieve him. His influence on your life is entirely up to you. He's bought the gift of eternal life. He's paid for it with his own shed blood. He lives and extends it to you today. He uses people like me to say, Christ has promised on the authority of his word. If you would say, I'll take it, he'll give it. But you have to receive him. Now, for you here this morning, you say, I've received him. Then rest in him, amen, and serve him. Are you receiving what he's saying to you today? There were times Peter had received him for the Christ, but he wasn't receiving him for the master. <laughs> How is it? What's his influence? He is the everlasting father. Is he not? He is. He is light and he is life. He is in the world today working by the Holy Spirit of God through this book. But the question is, how am I responding? Receiving or rejecting? Do you realize there's only two options? There's only 11 and 12. He came into his own, his own received or not. But as many as received him. You either receive him or receive him not.